It's SEC Media Days this week. Tennessee takes the podium tomorrow. Today on Locked On Vols, I'm going to give you my predicted order of finish for the SEC East and West. Where do I place the Tennessee Volunteers? That and a whole lot more. It's your Wednesday Locked On Vols. You are Locked On Vols, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Volunteers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A good Wednesday, everybody. Welcome into it. This is Locked On Balls. At underscore Kaner on Twitter, at Locked On Balls. I'm your host, Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys being here today, making Locked On Balls your first listen. We're a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Shout out everydayers for coming back. It's been a good week so far, and we're going to finish strong as well. Today's show is going to be a fun one. You got uh, my predicted order of finish for the SEC. Ward Wednesday, Josh Ward will join us in segment two, and then we'll get into scouting the opponents for the Florida Gators. Uh, don't forget, big-time announcement coming up. Five-star wide receiver Mike Matthews will make his college decision on the On3 YouTube channel later tonight. Will it be Tennessee, Southern Cal, uh, Clemson, Georgia? We will find out uh, You know, later on. Of course, we'll react to that news as well on tomorrow's show. Okay, so... My predicted order of finish for the SEC, you know, we're seeing every different publication put it out there. We're, you know, the media is going to vote on it at the end of this week down in Nashville for the SEC media days. But here's my predicted order of finish for the Southeastern Conference. Um, this is what I got, all right? So we'll start in the West. And at the top, actually, let's go in reverse order. Seventh, I think it'll be Mississippi State's. Uh, kind of a new scheme, a little bit of a different hybrid scheme taking over, you know, Zach Arnett, defensive coordinator, but also trying to replace uh, the legendary Mike Leach. May he rest in peace. I think it's going to be a tough, tough, uh, you know, task, obviously, under normal circumstance, circumstances, and this is uh, abnormal circumstances. I think it's going to be a tough year, despite having one of the better quarterbacks in the Southeastern Conference. I'll take Mississippi State in the cellar in the West. Then I'll go Auburn in sixth place. Hugh Freeze, I think, is going to succeed in this league. He has before. Uh, just not the the right tools in the shed right now, if you will. Quarterback play is going to drag them down, and I still think that they're a couple seasons away. That's the sixth. Uh, fifth will be Arkansas. Um, SEC West, you know, they've got a lot of good teams in there, and I think Arkansas is well coached by Sam Pittman. I think it's got one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Arguably, if he's not first team all SEC preseason, he'll be second team, that being K.J. Jefferson. He's got some weapons as well. Got a really good running back room in the Southeastern Conference. But I just don't quite see them being better than some of the other teams in the West. I think they'll lose some of those toss-up games to a team that I have here in fourth, and that would be Ole Miss. Ole Miss getting better from the transfer portal, of course. Ole Miss lost so much from last year, yet still found a way to win, what was it, nine games last year? Um, if they can get the quarterback position improving and the quarterback position humming, I think Ole Miss can win some of those toss-up games, as I mentioned, against Arkansas and can finish fourth there because there's a lot of talent on that roster. Uh, in third place in the West, my season predictions, preseason predictions, give me Texas A&M. I, I don't think that they're the darling of college football. I don't think they'll make a run for Atlanta. There's just too much talent on that roster, and defensively they were – they were okay last year. They just couldn't find any rhythm whatsoever on scoring offensively. Uh, got some good play out of Wagman there towards the end. Uh, we'll see if he can carry that over. I do think they got a better play caller if Jimbo Fisher gets out of the way and lets uh, Bobby Petrino call plays. We'll see what storm is a brewing down there <laughs> in College Station. But I think talent-wise, there's no reason why A&M should be any worse than third in the West. Number two, give me Alabama. 
I think Alabama still top the bottom. has got a great team, tons and tons of depth, obviously, obviously well coached. But I, I, I truly do believe you're going to see the trend start, you know, getting back to uh, for Alabama, at least for the 2023 season to where you're getting by at quarterback, you're managing at quarterback, but you're not winning because of your quarterback, relying on a great run game and solid defense overall. Uh, still a loaded roster, but I think Alabama takes a step back because of that quarterback position, and that's why I have the Crimson Tide coming in second in the SEC West, and the winners of the SEC West uh, preseason, at least, in my opinion, it's going to be of the LSU Tigers. Uh, Jaden Daniels played really well first year in the SEC. I think he'll take a step in the right direction in year two. I think you're well coached. You return arguably the best wide receiver in the SEC and, and neighbors. Um, you got some you got some holes to fill defensively, but Harold Perkins, one of the best best players in the country, and so I think that's why LSU will represent the West in Atlanta. Let's go to the East here. In the cellar, give me Vanderbilt. Improving under Clark Lee, just got that contract extension, but over the course of an SEC schedule, I think it'll still find its way in the cellar. Number six, Missouri. I just I don't know what Missouri is. Luther Brown is a dynamic player, but the the list of explosive you know players starts and ends with him. Um, you know, again, quarterback has not been great. You don't have the best run game defensively. You got a lot better from the 2021 season, but I don't think it'll be enough in fifth place preseason wise in my predicted or finish. Give me Florida. Florida won't be down forever, especially with the way that Billy Napier's recruiting. And I think that he's a good head coach. However, Florida's down this year and you got to take advantage of for Tennessee and some of these other teams. Graham Mertz is not a good quarterback. And he will not be a good quarterback in the Southeastern Conference, in my opinion. He's experienced, but he is not a dynamic playmaker, okay? And because of that, I I just, I truly don't think, um, and you lost some of your better players as well on defense as well, your top two leading tacklers, your safeties uh, that were really, really good over the course of their Florida careers, but, you know, had holes defensively even with those guys last year. You return your top two running backs, and we'll get to that in a moment in segment three for scouting the opponent. I just don't like where Florida is this year, so Tennessee better take advantage. Uh, so that's fifth place in seven, six, fifth, fourth place in the SEC East. Give me South Carolina, especially the way you ended last year. If you can continue that and get good quarterback play out of Spencer Rattler, uh, who knows? Maybe you can make a run to, to you know try to finish up there next to Tennessee, which I'll get in a moment. But I've got South Carolina. Um, I think it'll end poorly when it ends, but right now. I think they've got uh, something going there with Shane Beamer, but uh, nothing better than fourth in the SEC East this year, in my opinion. Number three, give me Kentucky, okay? You have significantly upgraded a quarterback from Will Levis to Devin Leary coming over from NC State. Um, can you fix holes on the offensive line? Can you get back to being one of the best running games in the SEC despite losing your top two guys, including Chris Rodriguez? Can you dominate the line of scrimmage like most Mark Stoops teams do on defense in the front seven in the box? We'll find out. Uh, but I think Kentucky is going to be a team that, you know, Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, I think in all, you know, I, I've got them separated j just a little bit because I think that they all can do some things and make their case to be number two in this SEC East when it's all said and done. But that number two team, give me Tennessee. That's my prediction. Uh, Tennessee, again, you were turning off a lot. You know what you did last year. Why not do it again? If you can get consistent quarterback play, we talk about it all the time. That is the key. you got to stay healthy at key positions like center and at uh, a tackle and at tight end. Defensively, I think you're going to take a step. You are much deeper than you ever have been under Josh Heupel. 
and you took a step last year in the right direction. Give me the Volunteers at number two behind Georgia, of course. It's hard to supp- to um, you know to take away the back-to-back winning national champions, uh, even in a preseason exercise. So my predicted order of finish in the SEC West: one Alabama, one excuse me, one LSU, two Alabama, three A and M, four Ole Miss, five Arkansas, six Auburn, and number seven Mississippi State. In the East: one Georgia, two Tennessee, three Kentucky, four South Carolina, five Florida. 6th Missouri, and 7th Vanderbilt. And with the predicted order of finishes that the media will vote on at the end of this week, you'll also have preseason all-conference lists. We've gone over some of those and kind of had some fun with it and everything. I didn't fill out it completely, uh, but I will at the end of the week when I'm down in Nashville. But here, in my opinion, are some Tennessee volunteers that you should be on the lookout for for these guys to appear on some preseason teams. Now, there will be about three of them, and that's why I'm kind of getting down the list here. Uh, Javante Spragans, I think, is a guy that can maybe make a second or third team. Brew McCoy is a guy who I think can make the second team. Amari Thomas, a defensive line, is a guy that I think can make the second or third team, along with Tyler Barron because that's a name everybody knows. And then maybe Aaron Beasley. Linebacker's pretty deep in the Southeastern Conference, but I think he should be third team at worst. Um, those are some of those teams. Maybe Squirrel White. Typically, you don't take transfers or put them on all-conference list in preseason, typically. Um, that's just kind of the way it is. Um, so, you know, Dante Thornton could end up being on it postseason along with some of these other transfers. Maybe John Campbell of Tennessee's offense is really, really good as well. Those are my predictions. What are yours? I would love to find out right here on Locked On Vols. Of course, the media will conclude the week at uh, Nashville uh, by voting on their record predictions for the SEC East and West. And of course, there are preseason all-conference teams. Uh, that is mine right there. would love to hear yours at underscore Kaner and at Lockdown Balls. Hey, Josh Ward, he's coming up next right here for a little Ward Wednesday action. Then we'll get into our Scouting the Opponent series and take a look at the Florida Gators. But I want to welcome back LinkedIn Johns, proud sponsor of Locked On Podcast Network for quite some time. And now they're back here on Lockdown Balls. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. We've all gone to LinkedIn Jobs looking for a job to take a step in our career. But if you are a small business owner, I encourage you to try to find your staff with people you can trust who are qualified and ready to get to work, and you can find that at LinkedIn Job. By posting your job, adding the, the purple hashtag hiring frame around it as well, using simple tools available at LinkedIn Jobs like screening questions, making it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and then ultimately hire. It's why small businesses rank LinkedIn Jobs number one and delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find qualified candidates you want to talk to faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Hey guys, welcome back to a Wednesday Locked On Vols. Appreciate you guys subscribing to Locked On Vols on the YouTube channel and wherever you get your podcasts. Everydayers, You know that uh, every single Wednesday we talk to Josh Ward. He's at Josh underscore Ward on Twitter. He is in Nashville at SEC Media Days. Josh, kind of paint the picture for us. How's the week been so far? Eric, Nashville is under construction for all the Locked On Vols viewers and listeners who are in the mid-state. I don't need to explain any further, but it is under construction. It's continuing to grow. It's continuing to boom. I thought 
hey, maybe this will be a permanent location for Media Days. Uh, forgetting that, oh, yeah, they're going to go to Dallas next year for the yeah. expansion with Oklahoma and, and Texas coming in. But the SEC is very proud. It has the best football and best sports in the country, you could argue, when you consider how baseball just sweeps up the nation every year. But football time is here, and there are a lot of storylines, including with Tennessee, who will be here on the final day. Of course, at the time of this recording, really the the bulk of one day has already gotten in, and day two is just kind of getting underway. Uh, highlights for Greg Sankey and the and the uh, three programs who uh, who took place in day one. Well, with Greg Sankey, a lot of the talk is name, image, likeness, and everything that's happening off the field. So it's kind of a carryover from SEC spring meetings conversations. There's a little bit of talk of the TV deal is the SEC is close to its move to ABC. But, uh, yeah, with Greg Sankey, a lot of it was NIL. And my personal thought, a lot of where Greg Sankey comes from is he hears from different coaches and different administrators from different schools in different states who have different laws, and he, he's probably tired of it. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, Tennessee was in the news with the NCAA decision, and with that came the report of the attorney general within the state getting involved, saying, hey, we have our own law here. And uh, it's just – it's a complicated mess because the NCAA and college athletics has made it this way on the field, which is you know, r- really what I'm excited about getting to this week is that, hey, we are closer to football practice starting in a couple of weeks and then the season around the corner. Brian Kelly on Monday talking about that LSU-Tennessee game last year was a turning point for LSU's season because they got beaten so badly is the way that he described it. And how can you describe it any other way? But they rallied from there. So Tennessee taking it to LSU showed that team, hey, this is what it's going to take if you actually want to be good. That's a reminder of where Tennessee's team is. And then A&M was here with Jimbo Fisher, and there's all kinds of questioning about how it's going to work with Jimbo and Bobby Petrino and now Jim Chaney joining on the offensive staff. And that's of note for Tennessee fans, too, because Texas A&M will come to Knoxville. There's a lot of talk about how A&M could be a lot better. And and the roster is really good. The roster – is elite in terms of talent, but does everything come together to make that offense a lot better? I don't even, Eric, I don't even know that it has to be a lot better. If they can be an average offense, they were good enough defensively last year to where they should have gone like eight and four, but they were so bad offensively, they had a losing record. Yeah, and you know, Jimbo Fisher could have settled a lot of rumors and could have just done the right thing and say, hey, Bobby Petrino is going to call offensive plays. Instead, he wouldn't do that. He said, I hope he does. He can do it. I think he's good enough to do it. Then just say it. Coaches I mean, are weirdos, and I say that with all due respect. But when it comes to <laughs> stuff like that, they're they're weirdos. They just, for some reason, giving that information is, is so hard to do because they think it will affect what other teams are going to do in preparing for them. And maybe they're right in some ways. I don't think so. I, th- I think if Bobby, if uh, sorry, if uh, Jimbo Fisher just says, yeah, Bobby's going to call plays. Or, hey, it's going to be a, a team. He's going to do the bulk of the work, but we're going to have communication during the game. It's not a hard question to answer, but they complicate it all the time. And it's not like you didn't know you were going to get asked that either. I mean, correct. You know, these, are not, these are not uh, gotcha questions <laughs> at SEC Media Days <laughs> regarding play calling. Pl- questions about play calling, who's doing what. Uh, it, how, how difficult is it to say, well, so-and-so is the O.C., we're going to lean on him heavily, but we have a team effort on our staff and there's going to be say and the situation will depend on what we talk about. It's not that hard. That's what Josh Hopple's pretty much been saying for two years here in Knoxville. Uh, we'll get back to SEC Media Day here in just a moment, but again, I want to get your thoughts on uh, the ruling from the NCAA. It came down on Friday. It is mm-hmm. Wednesday now, and of course, we've been talking about it because it's the biggest story 
uh, in college football. But uh, what'd you think about what Tennessee was handed out from the NCAA in terms of punishments and probations and the eight million dollar fine? Yeah, I thought it was fair overall. I don't think that the punishment is nothing. There are things that Tennessee will have to still deal with in terms of limiting visits, which you just have to manage things like that. Uh, assuming they follow the rules, because the previous staff that was a big part of it. Like the the money is what gets talked about, but when you see all these visits they have on campus during the pandemic dead period. And then of course the totality of the violations that, that to me is what is wild. Like the cheating and paying of players, Eric, that's the least interesting part to me. Uh, I mean, <laughs> some of the details on how it was done and Brian Niedermeyer saying, Oh, I thought I gave uh, this prospect a, a bag of brochures, not cash. You know, that that's hilarious. <laughs> what? <to me. laughs> but uh, here, here was my big takeaway because I think what fans want to know is, okay, how does this affect us moving forward? The punishment is not nothing. It is something that they have to deal with. But they've also dealt with part of it already. Like the scholarship part, they've already self-imposed 16, so they have 12 to go over five years. I don't think that will affect Tennessee's ability to compete in any way. Uh, the reason I think Tennessee fans can be confident about dealing with what I think is something, not nothing, is that the program's in good shape. They've already been recruiting at a good level. They need to continue to do that. They need to land more highly touted, talented players, but that would be the case with or without penalties. And the 11-2 and two season and the success of players who have now gone on to the NFL and Hendon Hooker being a top-five guy, and they've already landed Nico, so you're not having the question about where do they turn at quarterback in the future. I think Tennessee will be fine because of what they have in place. If Tennessee two years ago had hired Tony Elliott, uh, with all due respect, but he was a name that was talked about at the time, right? I don't think they would have had the success of the last two seasons, so the program wouldn't be in as good of a shape, and then the penalties would be more difficult to deal with because the people in place, Dondi Plowman, Danny White, uh, Randy Boyd should be a part of this discussion, and then uh, Josh Heupel, of course, as the head coach. That's why I think Tennessee will be fine because the program's in good shape and can manage what they have to over the next few years. So when saying all that, let's come back to SEC Media Days tomorrow when Tennessee takes to the podium. It's going to be the the very last team to do so. I guess the, the home state school uh, may, may be trying to keep people in the seats and a little holdover, but whatever. Uh, whatever the case that might be, wh what's going to be the big theme for Tennessee? Um, I think from a, a portion of it, of course, it's going to be the, the NCAA you know, investigation reaction. I think some of it's going to be NIL and Nico questions, even to Joe. I think a lot of it, though, Mm -hmm. is going to be Joe Milton. How can Joe Milton be Hendon Hooker? Yeah, I think Joe is one of the biggest attractions this week. It's difficult to say for sure the biggest attraction because of everything going on with Georgia, uh, both on the field and off the field, and, <laughs> and Bama is such a huge deal. But among players at quarterback, I think it is Joe because he's going to walk in and just his physical stature, people will see him everywhere he goes. And, and uh, he carries himself in such a cool manner, and he actually has something positive on the field to talk about to lead into this upcoming season because of the Orange Bowl and how last season finished. If Hinton had never gotten hurt, and obviously we wish he had not, but in the sake of Joe's conversation, if he had never played meaningful snaps last season, and the last time somebody saw him play a meaningful snap was the end of the old Miss game, or you go back to when he started in 2021, there's a lot more negativity. He was the Orange Bowl MVP. He's had an offseason where he's gotten all kinds of attention for launching the football at these camps, including the Manning Passing Academy. And there is real belief that he can have a big season and continue on what Tennessee has done. So I think Joe is going to be 
a huge attraction when he's here and he's going to carry himself with confidence and should. And then in a few weeks, he'll have a chance to go back, go out and back it up. And then with Tennessee's program, I think it will be about, okay, you do have to replace these other guys. How do you do that? And Tennessee's bringing seniors, really respected players and people and Jacob Warren and Amari Thomas. And I think Tennessee and with Josh Heupel as much respect as he has earned, I think they're going to have a really good day. I think they'll carry themselves well. I don't know that there will be any big headlines. I'm, I'm guessing Joe doesn't say, I don't lose in Florida again. Maybe he does. He's <laughs> welcome to. We'll, we'll play it again on the radio on Friday. But I think Tennessee's going to have a good time at SEC Media Days. Jacob Warren, good community, right? Brought up the right way? Uh, you know what? Representing Farragut Nation. And uh, you know what? Anytime you can take an admiral on the road to represent your university, I highly recommend it. God, there's two guys from Farragut High School, two Farragut High School alums down there in Nashville this week. I don't know if we can take any more. Still Josh not Ward. enough. Still not <laughs> enough, Eric. Co-host of Josh and Swain on 99.1 The Sports Animals from noon to three every single uh, day, uh, weekday. Josh, you're down in Nashville this week. Of course, you've got the Josh and Swain newsletter coming up on Friday. A lot going on to talk about while you're at SEC Media Days this week. Yeah, good interviews on the show that I think people will enjoy if they want to go back and, and check them out, uh, both on site and uh, yeah, the newsletter, joshandswain.com, and I appreciate your support letting people know about it as well. It's free. It's once a week in your inbox on Friday, and we'll have a lot more content moving forward because we are approaching six weeks until Tennessee kicks off the season. He is at Josh underscore Ward on Twitter. Josh, appreciate it, man. You got it. Thank you. Great stuff there from Josh Ward, as always, right here on Lockdown Vols. Appreciate you guys for being here, you everydayers. Breaking Lockdown Vols, your first listen each and every day. If you haven't already, please uh, do subscribe to Locked On Vols on the YouTube channel. That would help me out a lot. Five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get us uh, there as well. Every single weekday, 30 minutes or less, little Tennessee Volunteers content. All right, guys, we got, we're going to roll on with our Scouting the Opponents uh, series here as we're just a couple weeks away from fall camp. And with the SEC Media Days going on right now, I thought it was the perfect week to start uh, scouting the opponent. This is Tennessee's schedule. We are now in week three, Saturday, September the 15th, and it is Tennessee's first true road game. Of course, Tennessee starts at a neutral site, and um, it is neutral, but it's pretty much a home game in Nashville, Tennessee against Virginia to kick off the season. Uh, but in week three, you're going to be going down to Gainesville, Florida for the SEC opener and a game against one of your bitter rivals, the Florida Gators. And, um, Again, this will act as Tennessee's first true road game of the season. Of course, the Florida Gators coached by Billy Napier. This will be his second season. He was 6-7 and seven and year number one uh, in Florida. He was 46-19 and 19 overall in five seasons as a head coach at Louisiana before coming to Florida prior to the 2022 season. Um, Tennessee had a 38-33 win over Florida in week, I want to say five, uh, it was a home game at Neyland Stadium, and that was in 2022, just this last season. That was just Tennessee's second win over Florida since 2004. <laughs> you know, of course, Tennessee snapped the streak the last time it had beaten Florida was 2016 at home as well, but that win last year, just the second win since 04, and that just really goes to show you how Florida, unfortunately, has really just dominated this series despite not always having the better team. But Tennessee did get the last laugh last year and hoping to go down to Gainesville and beat Florida in the swamp for the first time since 2003. Uh, two straight losing seasons for Florida. If Florida has another losing season this year, it'll be the first. It will be the first time Florida has lost three. Cons It'll be the first time Florida has 
um, had a losing season for three straight years since the 1950s. Goes to show you how well, uh, obviously, that program's been run, but that's kind of what's on the line this year for Billy Napier. Dan Mullen had a losing season. That's why he got fired. And, of course, Billy Napier had a losing season in year one. And that's counting a bowl game, of course. And then if you have a losing season this year, that'll be the first time it's been three straight since the 1950s. You bring in quarterback Graham Mertz. All right, he comes from Wisconsin. He's going to be the quarterback for Florida, the presumed quarterback. Threw for 2,136 yards, 19 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, completing only 57% of his passes in 2022. Did start 22 games over three years at Wisconsin, so he's very experienced. He's just not necessarily a playmaker, in my opinion, and not a guy. If you talk about talent level, you're taking a considerable drop-off since Anthony Richardson. The only other quarterback that could really see extended playing time if, if Graham Mertz were to struggle would be Jack Miller, who was in Florida last year but started his career at Ohio State. You do bring back a leading receiver last year for the Florida Gators and Ricky Pearsall. Uh, you remember him, he scored at least one touchdown, if, if I'm remembering correctly, in Neyland Stadium last year. Uh, shifty, quick wide receiver. Led the Florida Gators with 33 receptions, 661 yards, 20.3 yards per reception last year, which is a really, really good mark. But there's really not a whole lot of depth behind him at that wide receiver position. You bring back your top two running backs, which is good. Uh, Montreal Johnson, 891 yards, 5.4 yards per carry. Uh, Trevor Etienne, 719 yards and 6.1 yards per carry. So had a pretty good running game last year. But that offensive line coming into 2023, you're going to have to replace four guys who've had starting experience, including early round draft pick. Uh, he was a tackle for Florida. Uh, he'll likely play guard in the National Football League. Sirius O'Torrance. Uh, three offensive line transfers did come into the program this offseason. And Micaiah, let's see, Micah something he's from Baylor <laughs> Keontae Goodwin from Kentucky and uh Dem Dem Damian George Jr. from Alabama sorry I can't even read my own writing that's pretty bad isn't it so the offense again trying to get better you had an all-talented quarterback he went up who ended up going fourth overall to the Indianapolis Colts but he was still never as consistent as you'd want him to be in college and the offense, you know, kind of struggled last year. It did score 31.7 points per game, which is not a few. That was still only seventh in the league, but you lose Anthony Richardson. Now you flip it over to defense, and the defense was just not good last year under Billy Napier. This was not a good Florida Gators defense, not one typically you see down in Gainesville. Allowed 416 yards per game. That was 12th in the SEC. Allowed 28.7 points per game. That was 10th in the SEC. Allowed 176 yards on the ground per game on average. That was 10th in the SEC. And allowed 210, 210 yards through the air. That was 10th in the SEC. So those stats are not good for uh, Florida. Prompted a new uh, change in direction and the play caller and coordinator on defense as Billy Napier has brought in Austin Armstrong from Southern Miss to be the D.C. For Florida this year. Brought in a couple of uh, talented players on the defensive line. D-line transfers Cam Johnson from Memphis, Kayla Banks from Louisville. Uh, you brought in a linebacker transfer in uh, from Ohio State as well who has plenty of experience. The edge player, I don't even know how to say his name guys so please excuse me. The edge player, Princely Yuman. Humanalian, I think that's how you say his name. I'm so bad. Anyway, he's got to look out for. He's a good player. He's an NFL prospect as well, standing standing in at six foot five, two hundred forty five pounds. 
Uh, you do need to replace two really productive linebackers, Ventro Miller and Amari uh, Bernie, who were really good. you got to replace two safeties I mentioned earlier. Rashad Torrance, 84 tackles, and Trey Dean, 81 tackles. They led the team, respectively, one and two in tackles. You bring back a sophomore in the safety position, Kamari Wilson, who's probably going to start, and a cornerback in Ja'Shawn Marshall Jr., who's going to start at cornerback as well. So you're replacing a lot on defense, but that was a defense last year that was really just not good overall. And anytime your two safeties are your leading tacklers, one and two, and that's not a whole, that's not really, really good in terms of where you are as a defense. So again, Florida's down this year. And that week three game, Tennessee going on the road, this is huge. I think it's a tone setter for the entire season. It's your SEC opener. It's against your rival who you've not had a whole lot of success with. You got some success against them last year, which was good. But you're going down to the swamp where you never win. But this is a Florida team that's down. Is this going to be another year to where it's one of those teams where you should have beat them, but you don't? You hope not. I just think this is an incredible challenge and a great – it's one of the most important games. might be the most important game, depending on how you look at the schedule, for Tennessee this year. Of course, you can't get to November in Georgia without going to Florida in the Swamp first in September. It's a good way to look at it. This one is huge for Tennessee. That is going to do it here for today's episode of Locked on Vols. Can't thank you enough for being here. Uh, we'll continue on with uh, tons of coverage uh, one way or the other in terms of Mike Matthews, what he decides to do later tonight. Will it be Tennessee, Southern Cal, Georgia, Clemson? Uh, we'll find out. We'll react to that and get you set for SEC Media Days for Tennessee on Thursday. All coming up on tomorrow's Lockdown Balls. Appreciate you guys for being here. Like, subscribe. Please help us out by uh, clicking subscribe on the YouTube channel. And uh, we'll do it again tomorrow, everydayers. This is Lockdown Balls.